the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode 236 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Hoost, and today we're going to talk about every Division I game that was played yesterday. We're going to lead off with Syracuse, Vermont. We'll get into Ohio State and Air Force, Maryland, Richmond, Navy, Mount St. Mary's, Duke, Bellarmine, Denver, Utah. We're going to talk about all of them. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, share the crap out of the podcast with your homies, and you can go to laxfactor.com. You can uh, support us by buying swag there watching our videos through the website you can get non-podcast related swag and watch our film review videos i digress let's get right into this here i want to talk about vermont at syracuse vermont gave syracuse all they could handle in the dome on saturday vermont struck first and the score at the end of the first quarter was one zip not the way i thought the game was going to start very slow very defensive but that first goal for vermont for vermont was six scored by derek marcillo marcillo uh dive goal very nice goal syracuse rattled off four unanswered goals in the second quarter to take a 4-1 lead into halftime sam alexo scored syracuse's first goal of the game from carter rice after an incredible save from will mark started that transition Wilmark had an excellent game. Syracuse looked much better between the pipes than they have. Finn Thompson and Alex Simmons each put up a goal and a dish over that four-goal run with Thompson feeding Simmons to give the Orange the 4-1 lead. All in all, I will say Thompson looked like the best player on the field overall. He had a very efficient game scoring, had a goal and two assists in the game uh, off four shots, no turnovers, and both of his assists were very nice. He had a BTB assist early in the game, and then he had a nice twister assist a little bit later in the game. Vermont answered Syracuse's second quarter rally with one of their own, scoring the first four goals of the second half and took a five-goal five lead uh, with 4.43 left in the third quarter off a Brock Haley goal. Now, Joey Spelina was quiet most of this game, had a rough shooting day, but he would score his first goal wearing the number 22 with 36 seconds left in the same quarter to tie things back up at fives, and that gave the momentum back to Syracuse, which was important. Spelina had a rough day overall shooting, though, scoring just one goal off 15 shots, but for me, to pr uh, for me, what it did prove was that the kid can get looks. He got looks, and he got looks easily overall Matt Schaefer played huge in cage for in, huge in cage for Vermont robbing Spelina more often than not as eight of Spelina's shots were on cage uh despite you know so even though he had an off shooting day or whatnot it's a big positive I think that he got as many looks as he did he got shots off easily he's just got to start burying him and putting them in the back of the net Jackson Burtwistle gave Syracuse the lead just one minute and 19 seconds after Spelina scored that was in the fourth quarter assisted by Thompson again and Owen Hiltz gave the orange a 7-5 lead with 7-14 left off a feed from Griffin Cook and that was the ball game very low scoring very defensive-oriented, rough shooting day for both teams. Both goaltenders had themselves a day. Will Mark got the win in cage for Syracuse, stopping 13 of 18 shots faced. Matt Schaefer was just as good for Vermont, making 16 saves to seven goals against. In the end, Mark won the goalie battle. Syracuse won the game. Burt Whistle, he had two goals. Alex Simmons had a goal and a helper. He's the Denver transfer. He started at attack. They pay Syracuse's new look offense. It had a lot of young guys rotating in and out, especially at the midfield. Uh, David Klosterman had a goal and a helper for Vermont. Jonas Hunter had two goals for Vermont. They kept them in the contest, each doing their damage over Vermont's four-goal run that ended in that Brock Haley goal to take the lead in the second quarter. Or no, third quarter. Um, Sam Alexo, he forced four turnovers, picked 
up five ground balls and scored a goal. Landon Clary, Caden Cole, and Nick Kamako, or Kakamo, I can never say his name. They combined for another six cost turnovers and six ground balls. Clary had himself a game. I think he had three cost turnovers and three ground balls by himself. Defense overall looked much improved for Syracuse. Vermont, you know, they're not the Vermont team that they were last year, but they're still a very capable team. So defensively, I was pleased with the way that Syracuse looked overall. It was offensively, not even team-wise. Offensively, it really just came down to Deuce Deuce had a rough shooting day, got looks, maybe forced it a little bit, but I, I think what Gary Gates going to take away from this game, our, 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 our new supposed best player in terms of um, uh, uh, Joey Spelina, I'm drawing a blank here, the, the kid got looks when he wanted to, he just could not hit the cage to save his life, and even when he did, Schaefer was there to stop him. Now, my thoughts overall on this game was that Syracuse defense, they gave up a lot of shots, but they scrapped they contested shots, and then Will Mark in cage was absolutely incredible all day long. Vermont, they looked as good as I expected to ex- expected them to. Burke went 9 of 16 at the dot, so that's kind of a win for Syracuse as well, that they didn't lose the, uh, an overwhelming majority of the of the draws. They kind of split that there 50-50 just about with Burke, and Burke is one of the best in the country. Uh, so that makes it a little bit more impressive that, you know, the Vermont didn't maybe even get an upset in this game, uh, and it was partly because Syracuse did scrap at the dot. That didn't make any sense. Syracuse also looked about as good as I expected, minus Spelina's rough day shooting overall. If he finishes just a few more shots early on, this game could have gone a completely different way in terms of the flow, but like I said, he got he got looks all day, just struggled to beat Schaefer. In terms of betting, I'm in New York, so I didn't get to bet on this game, but I was talking all week about Syracuse winning by five to seven goals or more. Vermont, they, they both covered the spread and made me look like an idiot overall. Next week, Syracuse has Albany at home, and Vermont is at Boston U. That's going to be a tough game for, for Vermont, and that'll give us a very good indication of where Vermont is overall because they're going to go from playing Syracuse to another very good team in Boston U, potentially a much better team than Syracuse, at least in terms of the preseason rankings. So that's what happened in that one. Uh, let's see here. Who, who took out the bulk of the face-offs here? I was watching the game with a buddy, and I didn't really pay all that close attention. So, yeah, if we're looking here, it was uh, uh, Johnny Richie Usa. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. I had the game on kind of quiet because I was watching – four games at one time here uh, yesterday. But yeah, 7-16 of 16 from the dot. So that's a big win for Syracuse at the faceoff dot because they had a lot of question marks coming in there. They didn't do well, apparently, against Michigan at the dot either. So And then Will Mark, as I said, 13 saves, uh, just five goals against. So he had a hell, of a hell of a game, looked much better in cage. Syracuse struggled badly in net last year. Looks like Will Mark may hold down the fort. Uh, at least in this game, he held down the fort. Next game. I would like to talk about is Air Force and Ohio State, number 11, Ohio State. Ohio State slowly but surely put Air Force out of their misery on Saturday, taking the non-conference tilt by a score of 15-7. to Jack Myers, a guy that I handed a first-team preseason All-American vote to, he didn't disappoint in making me look really smart, going for four goals and five helpers against a usually pretty solid Air Force defense. He had just 10 shots in that Buckeyes win. Scott White and Kyle Borda put up four goals and three goals, respectively. A huge and somewhat unexpected factor in the win for OSU was Drew Blanchard going 22 of 26 at the faceoff dot with, I don't, I, I say two ground balls in my notes, but I know that's not right. I'm, I suspect maybe he had 20 ground balls or 22 ground balls. Uh, Ohio State's stats suck, though. 
Literally, I'm going to have to go off PDF. You'll see that here in a little bit. Ohio State was also a perfect 15-15 to 15 clearing the ball, which was rare on an opening day for the most part. Ohio State defense played well, and Army transfer Marcus Hudgens had two cause turnovers, and keeper Skyler Wallen stopped eight of the 15 shots he faced, good for a 5-3-0 save percentage overall. Wallen looked good in cage. That Ohio State defense definitely limited the number of quality shots the Air Force put on net. Air Force struggled to actually put shots on cage because that defense played so well. I actually thought Ohio State might roll in this one by a little bit more than they did, but but to be certain, they played well all over the field considering they won 85% of the draws. That's, that's incredible, so I would have liked to have seen that offense maybe score a few more goals considering the draw control that they had overall, but hey, you know, W is a W, and maybe I'm underselling Air Force on this one, so maybe you know a 15-7 win against Air Force in the future could look a lot better. Uh, and either way, though, they handled their business. And I'm only chirping in that way. Surprised they didn't beat them by more because I'm that high on the Buckeyes. I thought the Buckeyes' offense would have their way. 15 goals, they kind of did, but I wouldn't. Have, I would have liked to have seen them put up 18 with winning that many faceoffs overall. Uh, betting wise, I took Ohio State to cover the spread, and they did. So both a W for my prediction of the winner and a W for my actual bet. So that's good for me. And then next week, Ohio State's going to take on Cleveland State at home, and Air Force will host rival Denver. It used to be a conference rival, and I think now they're just a regional rival now oh yeah and then let's see here uh what do we got in terms of face so you, yeah you look at these stats they're still going old school i wanted to see how many ground balls blanchard had 12 ground balls okay so i can update that in my notes so that my article isn't wrong but yeah 22 of 26 a hell of a job by blanchard here and then you look at myers game four goals five shot uh, five assists off just 10 shots put eight of those shots on cage so he had a very good game and uh, that's it. Let's move on to the next one here. And that is going to be number 20, Richmond, against number two, Maryland. Another game that I got wrong was this one. Maryland dominated from the get-go with Logan McNaney getting an early save, bumping it right away to John Gepper, who streaked up the field and stuck one past Richmond goalkeeper Zach Veek, who had a rough day overall. Daniel Maltz went for two goals, three helpers. Owen Murphy, four goals, and they came out and showed that this Maryland offense may not have nearly as many question marks as I thought overall. A bunch of new guys, Braden Erksa, two goals and a helper. Jack Brennan, two assists. Daniel Kelly, one and one, all chipped in for the Terps, and their depth, the depth of their scoring is a very good sign for this Maryland team offensively. As expected, though, the Maryland defense, was they were absolute killers. Makar caused four turnovers with five GBs. Zapatello forced three turn turnovers with two ground balls. You see Geppert get up the field, score a goal early in this game. The defense absolutely did not disappoint. They played an incredible game, factoring huge in the lopsided outcome. Overall was goalkeeper Logan McNaney, Section 4 guy, Corning. I always got to drop that. He stopped 12 of the 15 shots he faced. Now, Richmond took a ton of shots in the game. Albeit they didn't hit the cage very often, but in 12 of those 15 tries uh, that they did happen to hit the 6x6, six six, McNaney was a wall, had an incredible game all game long, was very consistent. Luke Weirman, solid at the dot. He won 10 of 17 draws with no points. One caveat there, he did turn the ball over twice in that mix. So, you know, it kind of means that Maryland didn't even win the better half of the possessions off the draws, but the outcome was still 15 to four. That's all the more impressive for their defense overall. Now, my thoughts on this a season ago, I had questions about how Maryland would fare without Jared Bernhardt 
as the main initiator overall of that offense, and they ended up having one of the most efficient offenses in the history of college across without their nasty ball carrier. In this first outing against Richmond, they proved that the idea of next man up is still very much alive and working for Maryland because, like I said, lose their top returning score to injury, but all these guys come in and end up playing tough offensively. Uh, For Richmond, doesn't look good. Doesn't look great getting blown out here by Maryland like this. I had mentioned that maybe with all of the talent that Richmond lost, they didn't really close the gap despite the wealth of talent that Maryland lost. And that proves to kind of be true. So I wonder what this is going to hold for Richmond overall. That'll be interesting to see here. If we dive into the stats a little bit for Richmond, what do we have here? We had Aiden O'Neill, a goal and an assist. Dalton Young, 2-0. and They just had a hard time getting good looks. Young only took six shots. Lance Madonna, you know, 10 shots, no goals. That hurt him pretty badly here. And then if we come down to Maryland, if you look at the depth of their scoring, Maltz, 2-3, and three, Murphy, 4 goals. And as, as I said, you get down into the, the depth of the scoring, and Maryland got some production out of a lot of guys overall. Betting. I lost this one. This is another one I lost. I liked Richmond to cover it plus 7.5. They didn't do that. They didn't even come close to doing that. And then next week, Maryland heads down. Uh, who are they taking on? Loyola, and Richmond's going to play Bucknell at Bucknell. And uh, actually, Maryland's on the road at Loyola. Huge drive. Terrible drive Maryland's going to have to make here to get to Loyola. Next game, I want to talk about Mount St. Mary's and Navy. Now, this one put a little bit of a scare in me in terms of betting and the spread. Uh, I had Navy needing to cover the spread for me to win this, but by the end of the game, they did cover as Navy beats them 13-7 to once all was said and done. The Mount took an early 2-1 lead off a Cormac-Giblin goal, but Patrick Skalniak answered for Navy on a dish from Mac Haley, nodding things up at twos early. Skalniak came out and scored the first goal of the second half, giving the midshipman a 4-2 lead, and they'd never allow the Mount to get closer than that for the remainder of the game. Skalniak finished the game with five goals for Navy, and Henry Toker put up three in the win. The Navy defense forced nine turnovers overall. Pat Ryan and Dan Daly split time in net for Navy. I thought that was weird. I was watching the game on one of the laptop screens as we were watching the Q's game, and I did not notice the goalie change. I don't know why they changed the goalie, so I'm assuming just given the 30 minutes and 30 minutes that it was a planned change overall. Ryan made 10 saves against just two goals, and then Daly came in, stopped three shots, letting up five goals. So like I said, I'm not 100% sure why they split that time, but it looked like Ryan was definitely the better goalie overall. Connor Beals and Bobby Terso combined to win 14 of 24 draws and only a single turnover for Navy. So that played into, or no, that was for the Mount. So that played into the game being probably a little bit more, a little bit closer in terms of the score. Those guys splitting draws and doing a good job against the midshipmen. Uh, Thoughts overall? I'm not surprised that Navy didn't win this one by more. I kind of had a feeling that Navy wasn't going to... um, blow them out. And actually, I'm wrong. I think I took Navy money line, and I don't think I took the spread. But during the game, for some reason, I had thought that I had taken the spread. Uh, But Navy, they controlled the game for the most part here. Like we said, it was close at the half, three to one. Uh, And then it was even close at the end of the third quarter, and it was the fourth quarter that allowed Navy to break out 6-2. They outscored the mount over over the course of that fourth quarter. But slow burn to a solid victory for Navy. That's what you would expect from a team like this overall. So I don't, you know, I'm not surprised by that at all. Mount St. Mary's turned the ball over a ton, 25 times in all. Only nine of them were credited to the Navy defense as being caused by the defense. Failed clears played into that a little bit. They only cleared the ball at a 19 to 24 rate. The Mount did, so that 
help Navy as well. Not you know, teams did better overall clearing the ball in the weekend. And one thing I was pleased about is it seemed the refs let the the, the teams play over the course of this weekend as well. Betting, I had mentioned that the spread on this one had worried me, so I had already taken Navy at minus 700 uh, via the money line, so I got this one right. They didn't end up covering the spread as well, though, for people that took the spread. So that's it with this game. Next game, I would like to talk about Bellarmine at number eight, Duke. Now, not a this game, it went about the way we thought. It actually started slower, and Duke you know, took them a little while to get into the flow and to start putting goals up. Overall, that, that first quarter was kind of boring over the first half of it, but they ended up rolling them after that slow start. Brennan O'Neill scored only two goals off of his 11 shots, but he helped five teammates find the back of the net picking up five helpers on the day. Andrew McAdory, three goals, two helpers. Dyson Williams, four goals. Both had big games for the Blue Devils and were key in helping uh, Duke finally find some flow offensively overall. McAdory starting at attack, looked excellent down there playing attack. Jake Naso wrecked Bellerman at the faceoff dot, winning 15 of 22, going 73% at the dot, and he picked up 15 ground balls to boot. My thoughts overall, nothing to see here. Duke did what I expected them to do by the end of this game. O'Neal putting up five assists. That's a great look. And like I said, McAdory looked good and settled in at attack. Betting-wise, I took Duke to cover this one at minus 11 and a half. I, I, I had talked about in the betting show how I didn't like this game at minus 10 and a half, not realizing as I was saying that, that the day the, the lines came out, I had taken Duke at minus 11 and a half like a moron, and I really didn't like that spread, but in the end, they beat them by 12. I look like a genius better, and uh, and actually, I had complained too that the lines didn't look that great, but I think they, when you really look back at what happened this weekend, I think they, for the most part, got the lines right, so artificial intelligence wins one again. I presume all those lines are set by AI, or at least greatly influenced by AI and a bunch of algorithms. Um, next week, Duke hosts High Point and Bellarmine has the uh, St. Bonnie's at home. So we'll see how everybody does there. Uh, let's see. Next game I want to talk about is Utah at, or uh, yeah, Utah at number 17, Denver. And I ate total turds on this one. This was the one I was spouting off all week. It was going to be my upset pick. I, you know, told everyone that would be that was even remotely willing to listen to me that I thought Utah was going to beat Denver by a goal or two, and I was way, way wrong. It, uh, you know, it happens sometimes. Denver jumped out to a 3-0 lead and never looked back. Utah was able to get within a goal with 4:14 left in the second quarter, but it was short-lived with Denver scoring inside of a minute later to go back up 5-3, and the Pios sailed from there. J.J. Silstrop, he paced Denver with two goals and a dish, and Noah Manning flipped those stats and reversed them, going for a goal and two helpers. Jack Thompson, key for, for Denver, he was solid in net, stopping nine of the 13 shots he faced, and he picked up the win. They need some consistency this season out of Thompson. If they're going to keep winning games, that's going to be huge for them overall. My thoughts on this game, I did not get to watch it. I wasn't willing to, you know, it cost 10 bucks a month for the Denver Pioneers all it's like the Pios all access or whatever it's called and if they had two home games I would have bought this one and watched it I would have paid 10 bucks to watch two of Denver's home games but it was there was only one home game and then they go on the road and then next 3 weeks I can watch them on ESPN plus so it was like why why pay 10 bucks for this game so I was disappointed in that but moral of the story, uh, the defense showed up. Tyler Bradbury, 
Uh, they held him for Utah to just a single shot in the game. He did muster three assists, but you'll take that. They're they're uh, one of their big scores for Utah. Uh, betting for this one, I got it wrong. Like I said, I took Utah at minus two hundred, so I took the L. However, I also I also forgot the day that everything opened. I took a bet on Denver at minus two and a half the day the lines came out. So despite hyping Utah up all week, despite taking a two-unit bet, it ended up being on Utah at minus 200. I did end up taking a a bet for Denver to cover at two and a half. And hey, so I kind of won and I kind of lost on that one. Next week, Denver will host another regional rival, Air Force, uh, while Utah will take on Marquette at home. All right, the next one. Jacksonville and Hopkins, another game I got wrong, uh, and I got it wrong in a magnificent manner because I was popping off all week about how Jacksonville was going to beat Hopkins, bet, you know, all that crap, all that stupid Gen X talk. Uh, So Jacksonville, without Max Waldbaum, uh, I don't know what happened to Waldbaum. I don't know if if he was injured or what the deal is, you know. Um, Maybe he got in trouble and he was grounded and his parents weren't going to let him go play with his lacrosse pals. Who knows? It didn't even say in the telecast, not that I heard anyway, uh, and I haven't seen any, you know, I I checked the press release. I didn't see anything mentioned in the press release either, so maybe that plays differently if he's in the game, but Hopkins, the key here for Hopkins is they looked much better in goal overall. Uh, The score was tied up at fives when Patrick Deans scored to give Hopkins a one goal lead and they would not relinquish that lead after that. They they went on a, a huge run over one point. Uh, Jacob Angelus, he scored two goals and an assist over the course of Hopkins' 8-1 run and finished a game with two goals, two helpers to pace the Jays. Dylan Bauer scored two goals and had a helper in the win from the midfield for Hopkins. Hopkins' defense, much improved from a season ago. Transfer Alex Mazzone, I think he transferred in from Georgetown. He had two forced turnovers, scored a goal, and picked up two ground balls. And keeper Tim Marcel, he made 15 saves versus only seven goals against. That represents a huge improvement in net for Hopkins as they've struggled over the last handful of years to be consistent between the pipes. I think typically have had goalies finish under 50% or right around 50%. So that is a very good sign that Marcel played well against a good offensive Jacksonville team. Uh, My thoughts overall, Hopkins did in fact look better. They're playing without their starting Fogo, from what I heard, so that was a pretty solid overall. I'm now ready to. Th- I'm not ready to throw the towel in on Jacksonville, though. Yeah, they lose 12 to seven, but this was a good game right up until the third quarter. They had one really bad quarter, and that was it. And Hopkins was able to pull away 12-7. They got outscored five-one over the course of that third. Uh, we'll see how they do uh, once Walbaum is back, uh, if he comes back. Like I said, I, I still have no info on what that injury is, but I'll you know talk about it in the next show once I find out. Uh, betting. I took an L. I had money line on Jacksonville, uh, and I had, I think, a three-unit bet on Jacksonville for this one, and they did not, even if I had taken the spread, they didn't even cover that overall. Next week, Hopkins will take on Georgetown at Homewood, and Jacksonville will host Duke. Okay, now we're going to jump into the games that weren't as interesting to me or whatnot, so we'll use uh, the inside lacrosse scoreboard for those Rutgers beat up on Maris. They beat up on Maris from the outset. Dante Coolis, five goals, three helpers, Jack Amon. I don't even know how to pronounce that. Oh, Eamon, uh, three goals, Brian Cameron, three goals, Ross Scott, just three goals off nine shots overall. Uh, so Rutgers rolled absolutely in this one. Kyle Mullen in cage, the new goalkeeper. He had 10 saves against seven goals against Anthony Palma got some time as well in mop up duty. And then at the face off dot, 
Jonathan Dugenio, 16 to 24. I was curious to see how he would end up doing. So that's a big deal for Rutgers. Dugenio is going to continue to play well, and they just absolutely beat the crap out of Maris. Let's see if we had some dudes get some caused turnovers here. I can't sort these. Yeah, Bobby Russo, three caused turnovers. Eh, that is about it. So that's it for the Rutgers game. They absolutely waxed Marist, and then we'll see who each of these teams have next. Rutgers has Stony Brook at home next up, and Marist has Binghamton at home next up. Uh, okay, where are we going here? Wrong screen. All right, Penn State and Lafayette. Penn State beat Lafayette. It was actually uh, I had a, I was watching a game with a buddy. I think he took the under on this one, so he just he he ate shit completely, taking all the unders. There was a lot more scoring in this first weekend than many people thought there would be. Penn State beat up on Lafayette. Lafayette kind of came back a little bit later to make it a, a little bit more interesting. Uh, Matt Trainer five and one. Chris Jordan four and two. T.J. Malone two and three. So this is what we were wondering about Penn State. They got a lot of guys back from injury. A very veteran team that's actually sitting here in place between the veterans coming back, the guys coming back from injury in the transfer portal. It was good to see TJ, TJ Malone go for two and three. Trainer expected to play really well, five and one. So that's great for them overall. What we do in cage? Who started here? All right, so Freyson, how do, how do I pronounce that? Jack Freyson, Freycon. 13 saves off eight goals against. Someone is telling me he, that they think he's going to be the, the best goalie in the big. That's not going to be true because Logan McNaney is in the big. So no way he's the best goalie in big. And then the faceoff dot. There you go. Domination by Penn State at the faceoff dot. Hudson Bond, uh, 22 of 30. Not not too bad here. Next game, Marquette Lindawood. I thought Lindawood might Lindenwood might have a chance of keeping this a little bit closer. They didn't. Marquette just beat the ever living crap out of them. Bobby O'Grady goes six and one for Marquette. Jack Stegman two and three for Marquette. Mike Alieri eight saves against two goals against. And then at the faceoff dot. Cole Emanuel, 10 of 12. Luke Williams, 5 of 9. So they pretty much waxed Lindenwood across the board. VMI against Detroit Mercy. I picked this one wrong. I didn't really pick it because I didn't bet this one. Uh, but I, I figured Detroit Mercy might win this game. So VMI may be on the up and up, baby. Luke Rusteruki, Rusterucci. That's how you say his name, two and five. Scout Ripley, four and oh. That's a pretty dope name, actually. Scout Ripley. Uh, Ryan Burney for uh, Detroit Mercy was five and oh, had five goals there. Adam Norris, 10 saves against 11 goals against. And uh, so neither goalie had a great day, but Norris picks up the win in cage because he played better. And then at the faceoff dot, Jack Rogers, 16 to 25. So that factor factored heavily for VMI overall. All right, let's see what else we have here. Division two scoreboard. I saw Lenore Ryan here. They beat Maryville pretty badly. And it was what Riley Shea, he goes three and two. Torin Eccleston goes four and one. Miles Moffitt, three and two in their win. I also saw Limestone played. They beat Embry Riddle 16 to 10. And we don't even have Limestone scorers in this one. So that's not worth looking at. What else did we have here? Uh, Tampa. And Florida Tech, Tampa beat them 13-7. to No Tampa scores here. Well, hey, you know, I tried to give you some Division One info here. Couldn't, couldn't really help you out all that much. I did watch a little bit of this Florida Southern game against Alabama-Huntsville. That one was, you know, it was, I think, what, the second D2 game that went down. I think there was a, a Wednesday game as well. And in this one, Florida Southern. I was trying to figure out the kid that I saw score a couple of goals early. 
that look pretty good. But yeah, Sean Nolan, three and one for them. So that is all, folks. That is that is what she wrote here. I will be back Wednesday to do the next weekend's preview show. We'll preview just about a touch on every single Division One game, at least a little bit overall. And then there are games today at the Division One level here today. Who do we got? Navy taking on Queens, Merrimack and Hoster, and Providence and Holy Cross. So I'll talk a little bit about the outcomes in those games uh, in Wednesday's preview show for the following weekend. But that's it, man. Please. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Please share the podcast, like, subscribe, do all of that crap. Get the word out of what we're doing. You can go to laxfactor.com, watch our videos, support us that way. Get the swag. That's it. I will be back Wednesday for the preview show. I will be back Friday for the betting show, lacrosse lines, and then I will be back again next weekend to give you recaps. Uh, and hopefully Syracuse beats Albany, and that keeps me happy. And that's it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is... Out. The Lax Factor Podcast.